Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. I mean, we've got, we've got a group of people that come in and clean every week and make a difference around here. But I specifically want to thank uh, Steve Brown and Matthew. Are you guys in the room? Come on, where, where are we at? Where are we at? Put some, come on. Put, stand up, stand up, stand up. Yeah, thank you. So they, they come in and they, they make sure, number one, that there, there are empty trash bins. But number two, they clean the floor. And, and with, we've got, we call it the Zamboni. I don't know what it's really called, but I'm Canadian, so I like it. And, um, but especially during the construction, by every Friday when, when they're shutting things down over there, uh, this whole place is covered in white. And uh, you guys make the church presentable and a, a clean, a safe place for people to come. So thank you for doing that, being so faithful to it. Yeah. Yeah, we've been in a, in a message uh, collection called, What Do You Have to Lose? And what we're really talking about is this idea of what would it look like for you to go all in with your faith with Jesus? What would it look like for you to just dive into living for God? What would be your next steps? And, and I know that in a room just like this, a room this size, um, that there are probably people who either are not believers or maybe you are a believer and, and your response would be like, uh, that, that's, that's good, but I don't really feel like I'm ready to go all in with Jesus yet. And I just want to let you know um, that's fine around here. You're, you're more than welcome to kick the tires as long as you need to. No one's going to twist your arms or manipulate you. But do know that our hope for you is that you would find Jesus and follow him completely. That's our hope. And there's other people in the room that um, you, you're living for God, you're living for Jesus, and you are absolutely wondering, like, what do I have to lose? Like, what is my next big step? What would it look like for me to just go all in? Like, I'm, you're chomping at the bit to go farther in your walk with God. And today, what I would like to do is paint a picture for you of what part of that might look like, what it might look like for you to just dive all in with living for God, uh, what that could look like. Has anyone ever had to say no to something that you really wanted to say yes to? Uh, has anyone ever had to say no? Maybe, maybe it was food. Maybe, maybe you had to say no to the cake and yes to the celery. Anybody, anybody been there? <laughs> uh, anybody ever have to say no to spending money now because you had plans for the money later? <sighs> yep, yep. Anybody, <laughs> anybody ever have to say no to that comeback, that great comeback you had? Like you, you had the best comeback, and you like, you had to like, nope, I'm not gonna, not gonna say it. <clears throat> Any, anybody have to say no to reacting while you're driving around here? 
<laughs> yeah, like you have to pray like, Lord, let's fill, fill my car. Like, Holy Spirit, fill this car. Change the way I respond and the way I react. Anybody else that you have to say no to the way you react sometimes when you're driving? Okay, ushers, I want you to write down the license plates of everybody who did not raise their hand. Who <laughs> they need special parking because <laughs> they're all liars. <laughs> I'm kidding. Have you ever had to say no to a purchase that you wanted to make? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have to say no to things that we really want. And and the deal is, is that I really hate saying no to things when when it's like that. Like I just don't enjoy it's not the funnest thing in the world to say no to things that you actually do want. It's not fun. And, and wouldn't it be great if we could just say yes to everything that we wanted to say yes to? Like, that would be amazing if we could just say yes to everything that we wanted to say yes to. And I think this is why people don't go all in in their walk with God, right here. I think sometimes we don't go all in in our walk with God because for some reason we feel like God is all about giving us a bunch of no's, things we must say no to. Like we, like we view him through this lens that he's all about subtracting from our life, removing things from our life, and saying no to things. And maybe that came from you spending time with people that claim to represent him, and your big takeaway was that his greatest goal in life was to take away all your fun. Like my kids, when we get in the car, we get in the vehicle, we start driving, and I'm like, you've got to stop fighting and playing and arguing. Like, you gotta, you got to stop having fun. No more smiling in the back of the car. No more, no, more, no more fun. And the Bible does contain a lot of do's and do nots. It, it, it does contain a lot of thou shouts and thou shalt nots. But one of the writers of the Bible who was a follower of Jesus, his name was John. He was Jesus' youngest disciple. He would have been like a, an adolescent or a young teenager when he was following Jesus. Um, he wrote a book called John, that is the life of Jesus. And then he wrote a really scary book that everybody's scared of called Revelation. And then he wrote three letters to churches called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. No, he didn't name them after himself. That's how we have categorized them. He's like, ah, first John, second, like, it's all about me. That's not what he was doing. They were from him. And in first John, this short little book of the Bible that is about how we interact with God and people around us, he uses the word love over 50 times. This tiny little book of the Bible is all about how the love of God should dominate your hearts and minds. Can I, can I just tell you that God has more for your life than just a bunch of do's and don'ts. His mercies never end. His love for you never ceases. Like God is crazy about you. He loves you. But even in the middle of this book called John, 1 John, there is one do not. And that's what we're talking about today. The one do not in the book of 1 John. It says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things the world offers you. Do not love the world 
nor the things that the world offers you. And, and when we read this, we might think, well, does he mean, what does he mean by world? By world, does he mean like the physical planet? Is he saying don't love the planet? Is he telling us that every time we get an oil change, we should just dump the oil out on the ground? Like, I don't love the world. Just going to dump oil. Like, I'm going to go buy, buy soda in the six-pack so I can take the little plastic thing and throw it out in the ocean. Just don't love the world. Like, is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, the very first command that God gives humans is take care of this planet. That's, that's a biblical concept before it was ever an environmental issue. It, it was a biblical concept that we are to steward this world we live on. So he's not saying don't like the world around you. And then the question might be, oh, so he's saying the people of the world. He's saying don't love the people in the world around you. No, 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 no. Understand that Jesus came for the lost world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. He loves the people of the world. God's all about the people. So when he says don't love the world, he doesn't mean don't love the environmental part of the world, and he doesn't mean don't love the people of the world. He means something different. What he's referring to is this. He's referring to the things that compete for our primary attention. He's talking about the broken systems that we live in, the broken priorities that we live with, the, the things in life that, that are broken around us. He's saying that is the world. And inside all of us, we are all broken people. I'm a broken people. You're a broken people. We all have our own areas and degrees of brokenness. People often come to me and they, they want to know, preacher, which sins are the worst of the sins? Which ones are the worst sins? Can I tell you that the truth is, is that everybody is broken. Some may be broken in a way that you're not broken, but you're broken in a way they're not broken. We're all broken. And loving the world is when we begin to love the areas in which we are broken. It's when we begin to love the very things that make us broken. That is loving the world. It's, it's loving those parts. It's those, those systems in the world, the, those priorities in the world around us, those invisible forces around us that, that are all at work competing for our attention. That is the world. And John says, do not love it. He goes on in the same verse and he says, For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. He's saying that, that if we love those broken priorities, broken systems, broken structures, broken ways of thinking, then we do not have the love of God in us. Can I say it like this? You can have a lot of likes in this life, but you can only have one true love. There is only room for one real love in our lives. There's only room for one real love in our lives. Having devotion to God and devotion to something else simply does not work. 
we can try to take our brokenness and the areas of our life that we've prioritized instead of him, and we can try to squeeze him in among those things, but he never fits. He never fits when we try to add him to the brokenness of our life. And unfortunately, this is how we most often do it. We wait until we become desperate and we go to God like he is an additive that will somehow fix the brokenness of our lives. If I go to God, he'll fix the brokenness of my relationships, the the, the brokenness of my finances, the brokenness of my internal being. No, no. Like when we do that, we're going to him as an additive. And, And some of us, we wait until we are so desperate that when we go to God, we get mad at him because he does not fit into the brokenness of our lives, especially when he knows he's only going to be kicked out in three months. If you love the world, you will end up with the world and not with God. If you love God, you will end up with him and ultimately he will add to your life everything you need. And I know that this is kind of an old-fashioned type of message, an old-fashioned category of message, but can I tell you The word of God does not change. It doesn't change. So when you add him to your life, add him around the priorities you've already established in your life as though he's going to be part of the collection, he never fits. But when he is first in your life, other things can come alongside him. But he is first. John goes on and he says this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, all the stuff we can have. Uh, The world offers the pride in our achievements and possessions, and these are not from the Father, but are from this world. John, what are you saying here? He's saying that there are three primary categories that he would define as the world. Things that we set up and prioritize above God. And and I think we can all agree with him. I I don't know about you, but the, the categories are quite simple. Being rich, being sexually magnetic, and being powerful. I mean... Have you at any point in your life or even today really wanted to be one of these, either rich, sexually magnetic, or powerful? Anybody? Anybody? I've got about seven honest people in the room. Has anybody wanted all three of these at some point in your life? Like, there we go. There we go. This is, this is the story of our lives. We chase after being wealthy, being sexually magnetic, and being powerful. And the problem is that the the way we try to get to these things usually doesn't involve hard work. It usually involves trusting that there's going to be some wealthy rich uncle somewhere that you've never met in your life that's going to leave their their money with you. Like, Like some family castle from seven generations ago is going to land in your lap. Can I just say, Paul or John is not saying that wealth, sex, and, and power are bad. 
He's not saying they're, they're bad things. John is saying not to distort these things. Not to elevate money, sex, and power above God. It's the misprioritization of these things that is bad. So money. Money can be good. Does anybody believe money is good? Awesome. I got about, I got about a third of you. How about all of you that didn't raise your hand? How about you give all your money to the people that raised their hand because they like money? And I was raising my hand, too. I was raising my hand. Money, money is, is not a bad thing. Money is not evil. People often will say, money is evil. Money is the source of evil. That's not true. Money is a good gift from God when it is the byproduct of hard work, when it is the byproduct of the fruit of your labor, when it is the byproduct of applying yourself Money is a good thing. It's a gift and it's a tool. But the love of that money or prioritizing it above God, the love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. It's the source of all kinds of trouble. So let me say it like this. There is only room for one real love in our lives. And when it comes to money, God says, it's a gift. Let the gift remain a gift. Don't let it become a God. In fact, Jesus would say that we, we, cannot, we cannot, in fact, love both money and God. This one specifically, Jesus says, you can't love them both. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Has anybody ever worked at a job and you had two bosses? That's the worst. It's the worst thing in the world when you got two people you report to, like conflicting expectations. You don't know who you're supposed to do what for. You don't know who's giving you the raise and who's firing you. It's, just, it's the miserable. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he gives the context of what he's talking about. He says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. If you love God, you will hate money in the way that the world defines it. Not that you would refuse money, but you will hate to chase it as though it is the ultimate goal of life. When we love money, we end up with empty relationships, empty hearts, and empty lives. But when we love God, we may earn money, and we may earn a lot of money or a little money, but we will learn to become content, grateful, generous, and wise. And then we will use money in ways that demonstrate that we love God rather than using God in ways that demonstrate we love money. Don't love the world. Let's talk about sex. I think, like, all the husbands are like, talk about it. You're like, not amen in me. You should have been amen in me. Sex can be good. Sex can be good. 
But the truth is it is also the, lo- the location and the place of so much pain and hurt in our lives. It's the, the location of so much shame and trauma and disappointment right there at sex. And the reason is, is sex is a good gift when it is a byproduct of a covenant relationship that followers of Jesus define as a marriage between man and woman. It's when somebody says, I've decided that I'm going to devote the rest of my life to you as an image of how God loves me, fully committed, fully faithful. When we do that, it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gift. But when it gets out of place, it becomes a lousy God. It becomes a lousy God. And so the lust for sex, whether physical or emotional, it twists into something other. And when I love it, I no longer have space for God in my life. There is only room for one real love in our lives. When we love sex, we end up with broken relationships, broken hearts, and broken lives. But when we love God, we discover that sex is a beautiful gift from God that is intended to demonstrate the oneness, the satisfaction, the complete vulnerability, the mutual serving, and the supreme faithfulness that is the very nature of our relationship with God. And when we have sex or we don't have sex for a season or for a lifetime, We don't have to feel rejected, but we can find fulfillment in our relationship with God. When we do that, there's no shame. There's no guilt there. And maybe you're in the room today and you're like, okay, preacher, that's enough. I don't believe any of that. That's fine. You may disagree with me, but I I would suggest that you probably still agree with the concept. Because you cannot name a single person who has loved money or loved sex that ended their life happy. Power. It's good to be successful. It's important to apply ourselves. It's it's important to, to, to push into the things that God has for us so that we can accomplish the things that God has put before us for other people. But when we find our identity in our successes or in the power structures that have been given to us or in the areas of influence, we, we, our identity is in the area of influence that we have, we begin to treat it like a game. And it only takes us down a bad rabbit hole. And when I love power and the things of this world more, I no longer have room for God in my life. When I love success, I no longer have room for the love of God in my life. And success is good. And and having influence is good. And being somebody of power, that's good. But it is a lousy God. There is only room for one real love in our lives. 
And so when we put God around our collection of achievements and influence and power and we, we try to slide God into the shelf of our life, he does not fit there. But when we get rid of all of our accolades and all of our gatherings and all of our building stuff up and we say, I'm going to put God as the center of my life and I'm going to allow him to bring success and influence and power into my life, everything works. He's not saying these things are bad. He's saying when we get the priority wrong, they prevent us from experiencing all that God has for us. Let me say it like this. If, if you find your identity in being successful, in being that young, motivated, go-getter at work in the office place, listen to me. At some point, there's going to be somebody that's younger than you, that's smarter than you, that's more motivated than you, that's got more hunger than you, and, and they're going to beat you in the success game. At some point, just so you know, at some point, we all get old and the young people get more energetic. It's the nature of life. At some point, that success you've been chasing, that power you've been chasing, it leaves your hands. It's fleeting. It goes away. But when we say, my identity is in God, my, my, my identity is in him alone, he can bring success, and he can bring influence into our lives, and he can leverage it to bless other people around us. Because there is only room for one true love in our lives. So John, why are you saying this, John? Why are you saying Because it really feels, John, it really feels like you are, you are actually subtracting from my life. Because it feels like you're saying, don't chase after money, don't chase after power, don't chase after sex. Like That, that kind of feels like a lot of no's. Well, listen to what the next verse says. John tells you why he says this. He says, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. He's saying this world has an expiration date. He's saying that the things of this world are spoiling at your very hands. Long before people thought the global warming was going on, he's saying the world is spoiling. Right now, all, all, my, all my Idahoans are like, how dare you say global warming? I'm from Canada. I'm from Northern Canada, I've seen the melting glaciers. It's real. <laughs> I'm leaving this church. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the point that John is making is this. That everything around you, the sex, the power, the money, the things we invest our lives into and we chase after and we try to gather and build around us, those things are fleeting. And at the end of the day, all of life withers and fades and only one thing lasts. In fact, James says it like this, that all of life is like grass and the best among us are only flowers that also wither in the sun. It makes no difference. Either way, at the end of the day, all the things we invest best and go away. That's why we put our trust and our faith in God alone and not in the sex, the money, and the power. 
So if I look at what he's really saying, he's not trying to subtract from my life. He's really trying to sustain my joy in life. He's really saying, I want you to have joy that lasts forever and isn't fleeting because all of the other things eventually fade. So when I, I try to fit God into my life of money, sex, and power, he just doesn't fit on that shelf very well. But when I remove those things from the shelf and I allow God to be the main thing in my shelf of life, he will bring finances. He will bring sexual relationship. He will bring influence into your life. So money, sex, and power are great gifts from God. They are lousy gods. They're lousy gods. So when it comes to money, maybe I'll have the band come. I'll, we'll land the plane. When it comes to money, I would challenge you to hold it with a loose grip in your life. Don't reject it as though it doesn't matter and don't cling to it as though it's all that matters. Because we all have a deep need for meaning and for security in our lives. The problem is this, is that the world says the way to find security and meaning in your life is to make enough money, to spend enough money, and to save enough money, and you'll find security and meaning. But God says, no, get away from the love of money, and you will find security, and you will find meaning. If you're listening to me and you're saying, I think for me, the, the, the money piece is the thing I sometimes prioritize over God. I do see that in myself. If that's you, here is your next step. It's an ancient practice that believers have been doing for thousands of years. And it is the antidote for elevating money above God. Give first. Give first. Because you will know what you value by how you spend your money first. If you pay your bills first, you value responsibility. If you dine out first, you value the finer things of life. If you save first, you value security most. If you give first, you trust God. So when we give, we're not saying, God, like, here's a tip. What we're doing is we're saying, God, you are my God, and the finances that I acquire are not in control of me. I'm not running the rat race about money. You are Lord in my life. And, and so for some of us in this room, that, that literally is your next step to give first. And, and when you hear me say that, you think, like, preacher, this was all good until you started getting close to my bank account. Like, God's got no business getting anywhere near my bank account unless he's making a deposit. 
Jesus says that when we do this, we are storing up treasures in heaven. We're getting a return on our investment that is eternal, that has a different meaning than living this life for today. So when we feed people, when we bless those that we can, when we we protect children, when we give and support those that are grieving, when we help people find a relationship with Jesus, all of this through our finances, what we are doing is we are establishing in our lives that money is not our God. God is our God. Money remains a tool, a gift, and that's it. Sex. Sex was designed to demonstrate the covenant of God in our lives. We, we, all, we all have a need for belonging and connection in our lives. And this world tells us that the way you will fill the void of feeling like you don't belong and like you are not connecting to others is through sex. And so we've got a generation that is deeply looking for belonging and connection on apps. Meeting with enough people to try to find somebody that can hopefully hopefully fill the void of belonging and connection. People that have just counted up a, a just a, a just a, a body count of people around them hoping to somehow fill the void of belonging and connection. And can I tell you that belonging and connection do not come through sex? That's why you feel empty afterwards. Belonging and connection come from covenant with God. Belonging and connection come from deep, meaningful, important relationships that demonstrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. So if this is you and you would say, I feel like this is an area that I have been elevating above God. If I'm honest with myself, it has become a value of my life that I, that I, I turn the ship of my life on. That I have a next step for you that may seem counterintuitive. A great next step that believers for thousands of years have done to reestablish belonging with God and connection with God and those around them is this, to create a time and place with God. Create a time and a place with God. Find a physical location in your house, a physical location on your job, a physical location somewhere in your car, and a time on your calendar, and set it aside for God. It could be five minutes a day. It could be 15 minutes a day. Just make sure you have a healthy rhythm of meeting with God, talking to Him and hearing from Him, reading His Word and contemplating His Word. I'm telling you, you're going to discover belonging and connection when you have a time and place with God. 
power. You have power. You have influence. Use it for good. Because we all have a deep need for purpose in our lives. And this world tells us that if you want to find purpose, you're going to find it through achieving, through, through uh, possessing, through moving forward, through climbing the hill of people. And I'm just telling you that purpose does not come from building your own kingdom. Purpose does not come from trying to, fight, to chase after success and power and influence because success, power, and influence are wonderful gifts from God but they are lousy gods. Pastor, I, I don't feel very powerful. <laughs> I don't feel very influential. And can I just tell you that you have vastly more influence than you recognize. There are people in your life that are watching you there are people that are listening to you. There are people that are turning towards you, even though you may not see it. And if you want true purpose in life, you will not get it by chasing achievement and accolades. You will get it by chasing after God. And then as he provides influence and success, and maybe power into your life, using it in ways that bless God and honor Him. I think a, a great next step for what this could look like, Christians have been doing this again for thousands of years, a great way to reprioritize when you have power as your goal. A great way to reprioritize that is to serve on a team. Oh, I see what you're doing, preacher. You just want more volunteers. No. Actually, no. More volunteers means more headaches. But people serving other people with no reward for themselves but to fulfill the purposes of God in their life is one of the greatest ways for people to grow in their walk with God and reprioritize this peace. Like, if you want real purpose in your life, like you really want to make a difference in this world, stop chasing achievement and go serve little kids on a Sunday morning. You want to change a generation? Go disciple young believers. You will change families. You'll change the course of history next door. Like, those teachers are changing lives, changing families, changing a generation. So don't try to fit God around the influences and the success you have in your life. Instead, make God first and allow everything else to be added to your life in His timing and in His way. Because the truth is, there's only room for one real love in your life. There's only room for one. Would you stand with me all across the room? Jesus, this
this has been challenging for some. I feel like there's there's somebody in this room that, that is right on the line. You're, you're walking the line of darkness and light. And you're trying to discern which way to go. And can I tell you, it begins with making Jesus Lord of your life and allowing sex, money, and power to lose authority in your life. Lord, I pray right now as you as you shift things in us and as you transform things in us that we would be people marked by your presence and by your spirit, not people that are run by power, sex, and money. But God, we would be men and women of integrity and honesty and men and women that love you more than anything else in life. I wonder as I'm speaking, if there's somebody today for you, you realize that Jesus is on your list of priorities, but he's not number one. He's down the list a ways. And you hear the voice of God calling you to make him the number one priority in your life, the Lord of all. If that's you, would you put your hand up so I can see who I'm talking to? See hands all across this room. That's a beautiful thing. That's not a shameful thing, not a guilty thing. It's a beautiful thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent. That means we're going to turn away from elevating these things in our life. And we're going to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we do that, his blood cleanses us of all sin. And he establishes himself as the Lord of our lives. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray something like this. God, I am sorry for allowing the things of this world to become the motivators of my life. I'm sorry for chasing false gods and allowing you to be second and third and fourth. Right now, I want you to step into your rightful place in my life as first, as Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He was buried for three days, and when he rose again, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So right now I'm placing all of my faith, all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's a bunch of people that just reprioritize things, change it. Best decision of your life. Best decision of your life. Church family, we only have room for one true love. We cannot love the things of this world and love God. We can love God first. 
and allow him to bless our life as he sees fit. God bless you. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world. 